You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Today we begin a new journey through the book of Judges. Now, I will tell you that one of my buddies in the ministry that I've been texting with uh, from time to time, I texted him and he goes, where are you going next? And I said, the book of Judges. And he says, oh my, oh my. And I said, I hope I don't have the same reaction in our congregation. But the reason I went to the book of Judges is you're going to see very quickly there are some very interesting things that happen in the book of Judges that could be related to even things that are happening today. Not related in the sense that they, that they are together, in the sense, um, what I, what I want to be clear on, and, and maybe I should just say it instead of trying to beat around the bush, is this. Israel is not the United States of America, period. All right? You may have heard that from a good biblical teacher, that that's true. That is untrue. We are not the same people. We don't have the same covenants. They were God's chosen people. Are they special? Yes. But they are not the United States of America. You cannot go to to, uh, a passage in Scripture and say Israel was promised this, so the United States of America has promised this. That is not the truth of the matter. However, one of the things that we can do is we can learn from the history of of the Israelites. Do you know that I was, I was up last night, uh, I don't know, two, three in the morning, and you know, what do I do when I'm up late at night? I look up things for the sermon the next morning. Um, just because I, I already have it planned, I just thought, well, maybe God has something new. But I was, I was reading some scripture, or reading some, not some scripture, some quotes from some people. And there are people that are far from Christ, Far from, from following Jesus Christ as, as they can be. They, they've actually written books about not following Jesus. And do you know what they say? If you want a nation to follow you, you know what they say? The first thing you should do is erase their history. Now just think. Think about what's going on today. in public education, in universities. And so Judges gives us this this backdrop of what it looks like. And there's there's this scripture that you're going to hear, and I'm going to get to the sermon in just a second here, but i got to kind of set the tone, and and I'll probably say some more things um, through the introduction that that I've already said. But but there's this this saying that you're going to see. And this is the saying that you're going to see throughout Judges. Here's what it says. When people do things that they, when they, when they, when they do things in their own eyes, instead of looking at God, this is how it goes. It's going to go a lot smoother than when I just quoted it. But that's the scripture passage that you're going to hear throughout the Judges. When people did what they wanted to do, instead of what God wanted them to do. And this is what happens. And I want you to sit up and take notice. Because you may not realize it, but we're living in a world where people really don't want to listen to what God has to say. 
And so we must learn from the history of the book of Judges. The more I learn from it, specifically at this time in history, the more I realize we have a lot to learn about that history and what it could teach us. Here is some context to the book that may not be clearly explained on the back of your sermon outline where I gave you a, um, a, a background of the judges from Pastor Charles Swindoll's um, website. I just basically cut it and pasted. I'm not going to take any credit for that. That is his stuff, but he did such a good job. I said, why would I try to outdo Charles Swindoll? Just cut and paste it and give it to him. Now, perhaps the first thing a person should know when reading the book of Judges is what a judge is. We'll talk about that. The event of this book occur in a time before there was a monarchy in Israel, before there was a king. The book of Judges covers perhaps a wider period of time than almost any other biblical book except Genesis. The events of the book um, Judges of Judges occur from the death of Joshua, which was 1390 question mark BC, and go to the crowning of Samuel as king, which was 1051 BC. It is a history of the earliest years of the Israelites' occupation, occupation, you get what I'm saying, of Canaan. I liken this book to being the dark ages of Israel's history. It's a period between the relatively good early years, which was Moses and Joshua leading them, and the Garden Age of Solomon, or the Golden Age of Solomon and David, and in the period without kings, In this period, without kings, God would raise up certain leaders called judges. Those judges were to do one job. They were to deliver the people from foreign oppression. These judges may have at times functioned like a judge would function today in determining right from wrong in some court cases, but that is not how we are to think of of their primary function. Judges in this context are deliverers. They are sent by God to deliver his people Israel from foreign oppression. You might think that a single judge would be, would, would be sufficient for this, and that is correct. When God sent a judge to lead the people in revolt against a foreign oppressor, it was successful. Why then were there judges plural? Because by various methods of determination, they are anywhere from 4 to 20 judges. But there are six major judges who have significant storylines in the book of Judges. They are Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. Here's the deal. God wanted the Israelite nation to clear off the Canaanites who were inhabiting the promised land at this time. He asked them to do one thing. Go in and get rid of the Canaanites. Why get rid of the Canaanites? Because as we'll learn in just a little while, the Canaanites were were beautiful at worshiping all these different gods. The God of fertility, the God of, of sun, the God of grass, the God of the trees, the God of this, the God of that. And when the Canaanites got around people, they were electric people. And what some commentaries say is, is that you couldn't be around a Canaanite before, uh, for too long before you were sucked into this God of this worship and God of that worship. 
And so God, loving his people, loving Israel, said, listen, I, I have one request of you. Please, when you get into the land, get rid of the Canaanites. Destroy them. They're not good people. They're going to lead you astray. Well, that brings us to the major theme of the book of Judges, which is on the screen. The Canaanization of the Israelites. That's what happens in the book of Judges. They take the land and they become friends with the Canaanites. And all of a sudden, now their big God, we don't have time for. And so again, the theme being the canonization, basically following for all what they stood for. So now I want you to take the DVD recorder or DVD remote and hit fast forward to 2022. Maybe you've wondered in these days of debates over some of the things being decided by the courts and such. Maybe you've actually asked this question. So what if I do decide to leave a little room for sin and don't drive it out completely? Who cares? What will really happen? I mean, what's a little sin, Pastor? Why are you so passionate about following unswervingly to the word of God? Why does it matter? Shouldn't we just love and forget the rest? I mean, what can really happen if we just let the wrong alone, the wrong, let the wrong alone and fit in? Let me just stop here and let me just say, if you've been asking these questions, you're in my company. Because I've asked the same thing sometimes. When you're standing alone on a hill, Wondering, why is it exactly that I do hold unswervingly to the word of God? I have not wavered from my commitment to the word of God, but friends, I am here to encourage you that we want to be a church of grace and truth. The reality is we do need to love all people, but the truth is that we can disagree with things and not hate people. That is very possible. And that is because of God's grace. See, one of the things that America has been going on in America these last few years, especially through the two years of COVID and counting, is that there's this thought pattern that if I, if I disagree with you on an issue, I hate you. When that's the farthest thing from the truth. And so what some have chosen to do in those times is to say, we're just going to live a life of grace. That's great. 
We're going to let sin roll and we're going to, we're going to do our part. We're going to love people in spite of their sin. We're going, to, we're going to do all that. We're never going to speak out against anything. And, and that's okay, they say. But then comes Jesus. Who looks an adulterous woman right in the eye and says, stop doing it. Who doesn't ignore the fact that the woman at the well has five boyfriends, but calls her on it and asks for grace. And Judges shows it all. It shows what happens when we lean towards too much grace and not enough truth. But it can also go the other way where we lean on all truth and no grace. So there's some lessons learned about not following the Lord from the nation of Israel. And I want to go through those lessons and teach you what I've learned this past week. Because this is the first time, never did a sermon series on Judges. I'm beginning to find out why. (laughs) But sometimes the pastor needs a kick in the head so that he can get challenged. Not a kick in the head. Christ never kicks you in the head a pat on the shoulder, stand for truth so he can challenge his congregation. Let me tell you, Judges has done that, and I hope it'll do the same for you. They forgot the history of God's faithfulness and entered an endless cycle. So that's the first lesson that we learn from, from nation of Israel. They forgot the history of God's faithfulness, and they entered an endless cycle. All right, And it all started in chapter 1, verse 28, where it says, When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. And hence, we have an issue, Houston. They got strong, they got big, they got the best military, they got all these things, and they're, they're, they, they got all of this, and they became friends with the Canaanites, and they, they, they forced them into slavery, but they never, that there's, they're so important here, they never drove them out completely. Why? Because their pride got the best of them. Because their pride got the best of them. We're big, we're strong, we are God's people. Surely God will overlook the fact that we don't drive out the Canaanites. They became familiar with the enemy and did not do as God had instructed them. And instead of driving them from the land, they just thought they'd keep them around as laborers. But here's the deal. The Lord was serious. 
Look, these people are not good people. Get rid of them. So the story continues in verses 10 through 13. I want to read those now. It'll be on the screen. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, now I want to just stop, stop for one second. They lost an entire generation. I hear people say, that's impossible. Not according to scripture. Verse 11, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Athrastraths. This forgetting of the history of God's faithfulness led to the Israelites doing what is underlined on the screen right now in verse 11. Because they forgot the history, because they forgot of his faithfulness, because they forgot of just who they were dealing with, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What was that evil? Well, that verse is explained in through 11 and 13. I'm going to kind of throw some things up on the screen for you, but it's kind of the way that it breaks down. It's the way the scriptures are written. It it kind of sets its own self up for an outline. Here's what it says. They served the Baals. That was the first thing that they did that was evil. They served the Baals. Now, what, what I didn't completely understand, and maybe you did, and that's, that's great, but, but I didn't completely understand this, is that this, this wasn't just one Baal. Baals was the several gods. There was a Baal of fertility, there was a Baal of this, there was a Baal of that, there was a Baal of this, and, and so Baal was just the, the common name of this god. But there was 20, 30 of these Baals, and this is what the Canaanites were talking about. They had this buffet of belief. And so if I didn't get the correct answer from this Baal, I'll just go to this Baal. And if I didn't get the correct answer from that Baal, I'll go to this other Baal until we're we're 30, 40 deep into Baal worship. Baal is a god for just about every location. This name is used 150 times as a title, but there are several occasions where that title is also put beside some other word. For instance, God of the Flies equals Belzebub. And there's tons more to go with that one. Kind of like everything having their own God instead of the one God of Israel over all things. Can you see how the conflict arose? God goes in as a jealous God, as a passionate God. He wants his people to keep his word. He wants his people to do his work. And they start following the God of flies, the God of sunlight, the God of grass, the God of trees, the God of this, the God of that, the God of everything else. And scripture puts it succinctly. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But it continues, they abandoned Yahweh. 
They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. See, they didn't try to play the two-person. They abandoned him. Now, I'm not saying playing the two-person game was a much better. But this is like, we don't even talk about him. They pursued other gods. They followed various gods of the people around them. And as if pursuing them wasn't bad enough, they worshiped them. It says in 12, verse 12, the last half of it, worship various gods of the peoples around them. And then the first half of 13 says these words, because they forsook him, again, they abandoned him. They abandoned him. Maybe I went too fast. They pursued other gods. They worshiped them, those other gods, and they abandoned Yahweh. They served the Baals. And they served that other God that's mentioned there, which is the God of fertility. But here's an interesting thing, and, and maybe you can figure this out on your own time, doing your own study. But here's, here's what the God of fertility was equal with, the God of war. You figure that one out. I, I, I got to talk to the Canaanites about that. How does the God of fertility become the God of war? I mean, I don't want to get too graphic with kids in here, but come on. But it's all the same God. The God of war is the God of fertility. The God of fertility is the God of war. And they worshiped him. All this to say Israel literally did something that we don't like to talk about. Here's what they did. They really committed adultery on God by breaking their covenant. The words used here are not, are not light. They had an affair, and it was nasty. They broke their covenant. If there's one person who really doesn't like coming in second, it's God. He doesn't like being cheated on, lied to. And here's the endless cycle that they entered. It'll be on the screen. Now, if you can't read that, I'll, I'll kind of walk you through this. I, I kind of put this up on this, and I should have made it a little bit bigger. But it starts here. So in other words, what they start with is apostasy. They walk away from God. And then they, they, they keep on going, and then the oppression happens. Because they walked away from God, oppression happens. And then they start to groan about it. 
You see this in, in, even in the, in the story when they, were, when they were taken out into the wilderness. And what happens? They eventually groan about the, the manna that they're being fed. You know, why aren't we getting pizza? Why aren't we getting steak and eggs on breakfast? Why aren't we getting all this good food? No, you're giving us manna. And what's the name of manna? What is it? That's what literally in Hebrew manna means. What is it? So he's feeding them. What is it? You know, I mean, wives, you really don't like it when your husband, you put food in front of your husband, and he looks at it and goes, what is it? I mean, you don't really like that, right? And so God is feeding his people every day faithfully, and he's doing his work, and he's being faithful to them, and they're looking at him and going, what is it? And we don't like it, and we want better. Because they entered that cycle again. They groan. They complain. And then they're delivered again. But not too long later, a couple months, maybe years down the road, they walk away from God again. They forget all about his faithfulness. And here's the deal, friends. This isn't a cycle that they only had. It's a cycle that we can dangerously step into. Hence why every sanctuary of a Bible-preaching church is usually adorned with this table that says, this do in remembrance of me. Why do it in remembrance of him? Because he doesn't want you to forget what happened in the past that he did for you and your sins on the cross of Jesus Christ. And you have a tendency to forget. So do I. We play the games. Oh, I'm not very valuable. I'm not a very good person. I'm not this, I'm not that. Jesus had something different to say about you on the cross. Every one of you. I don't see him up there saying, yeah, I'll die for that person, but I don't really like him. No, he invested his life into every last one of you. And then he says, come and do this in remembrance of me so you don't forget. Why? Because he knows what forgetful people do. They act like Israel. They do it on their own. Then they get oppressed. Then they start groaning to God like, where are you, God? I can't believe you're allowing this world to fall apart. What's going on? And then he delivers them, and they worship him for a little while. And then they go back to it again. Now we're strong. Now we're prideful. Now we're this. Now we don't have to follow him. It's a nasty cycle. But we can break it. But here's what breaking it means. We fully, utterly rely on him, not us, and not anybody else. That's where the problem comes. For many people. Number two is God's natural and amazing reaction to all of this. We're going to start in verses 14 in just a second, but I'm going to read some things here. Look, God is passionate. God is angry. Became to his, game, his anger came to life in this scripture passage. Now, in today's world, this is an unpopular image of God. It is. Here's, here's why we are having the debates we are having in our world today. Because people can't see God 
as an angry God. They can. And so some of the hottest debates, and you know what I'm talking about, I don't have to say it this morning, are wrapped up in this because God's a God of love, man. He would never be angry. And because we can't see that image of God, that skews our thinking from time to time. Let me go back to my notes. He cannot just stand by while his people are snatched by, quote, divine competitors. If you think God's the kind of father who will let you just commit adultery on him and just let him let you go. That's not the kind of father we serve. He doesn't just stand by while we follow little gods and say, okay, just go do your thing. We have a fire pit in our backyard. What does that have to do with God? Well, just wait. If Freddie or Serenity is heading straight for that fire pit, I mean, straight for it. And they're saying to me, Dad, wouldn't it be cool if I jumped in the fire pit? What kind of father am I if I said, yeah. Every last one of you would report me to the police. You would. Our pastor lets his kids jump. Please don't go out quoting this. Our pastor lets his kid jump in a fire pit. What do you think you're doing when you just kind of let things go? And sin just kind of takes over. What kind of father would just stand there and let his children do that? But all of this must be put against the backdrop of his amazing grace in the past to this nation of people of Israel and to us. Listen to 14 and 15. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were so no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. Again, the Lord's anger is seen in two different ways. Number one, he gave them into the hands of their raiders who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around. But then we go to verses 16 and 17, and his grace comes through once again. What would they do with that grace? Well, here we have the answer. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet, They would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Verse 18. 
go. God says, hands off. Going to let the enemies have their way with you. Then God comes back around and he says, listen, I'm going to bring judges and, and I'm going to help them to deliver you. And he actually saves them from their enemies. And you know the rest of the story. Israel is too enthralled by the exciting gods of the Canaanite people and they can hardly wait to enjoy all their benefits. All because instead of pushing them out, they lived among them and did not follow God's orders. God's natural reaction is anger, like any husband or wife in the sound of my voice. If your wife or husband was committing adultery with anyone with, a, with absolutely no regard for your relationship, you would be angry too. Second, God's amazing reaction that even though you were, they were doing that, he brings to them a solution in the judges. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I like to play the what if Brekindig was God game. <laughs> it's not a very wise game, but sometimes I play it. Because I had an Old Testament professor that played it too. What if Dave Dorsey was, was God? I don't know. If I'm God at this moment, I might say, you know what, Israel, I'm going to start over again. You just aren't getting it. But he continually shows faithfulness. Faithfulness. Last lesson, number three. God's motive is never to destroy but to build. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant... I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me. I will no longer drive out before them any of the nation Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. Friends, I often wonder if the Lord isn't doing that today. I really do. Is he saying to us, listen, I'm going to... I'm testing you. Will you stand with me or will you stand with everybody else? I'm asking. And Israel is, is in this place, and so his goal isn't to destroy Israel. His goal here is to say, listen, I'm going to let them exist, and I'm going to, I'm going to be here, and I'm going to test them. There's nothing wrong with this, with this scripture passage. God as a father is saying, listen, who will they follow? Will they continue to follow the little gods of the Canaanites or will they follow me? Will they come back to my faithfulness like that endless cycle? Which will they do? We're not a puppet on a string. He doesn't make us do anything. You know, last week I, I mentioned that we had a... We had a demographic study done by another church that paid for it, completely paid for it. So I went to them and I said, listen, I'd really like to know what are the needs in Muhlenberg, Pennsylvania? I really want to get out there and reach the needs. And I had a meeting with Andy Becker this past week. He's not here. He has a family baptism today. But we talked about it. 
one of the things that came out in that meeting was, or in that report, was is that there's, there's some very big points that are going on in the news today and in the world today that it is the highest concern in Muhlenberg, and Muhlenberg is actually higher in the national level than most communities. And it's a hot issue. And as I sat with the other EC pastor and we talked about this, he said, you know, someday you're going to just have to stand with your people, and I'm doing it today. I will not bend from this book ever. And if that means that I have to spend some time away or whatever I have to do, I'm telling you as your pastor, I will not bend from this book. Because you bend once, then they want you to bend a mile down the road. And then they want you to bend for this and bend for that. This book is our guide. Period. And yes, that means that maybe we disagree with some people, some folks. Doesn't mean we hate them. It means that we put God's plan above anybody else's plan. And so I share that with you in this last point because I want you to understand that the goal is never to tear people down. Never. But always to build them up. But the day is coming. The day is coming when this will be put up against all other worldviews. And there will be some places of worship that will choose to go to the other worldviews, the other little gods. I can't leave this. I won't leave this. And if everybody else chooses to leave it, I'll be alone. I'll go find a new employment. I won't leave this. Because I look at Judges chapter 1 and Judges chapter 2 and I see what can happen when you leave. Just a little bit of room for sin. I'm going to end on this story. In 1994, Clark Summit University, I was graduating in, not 94, what am I talking about? 99. Speaker got up. Dr. Freedy Losher. I'll never forget it for as long as I live. He looked at us as a class, and, and, and again, I'm going to mention this. Please understand my heart in this. I love people. But he looked at all of our class, and he said these words. He said, gentlemen, because it was mostly gentlemen, 
you will be the first pastors that will graduate from Clark Summit University. And either marry everybody and anybody or go to prison. I will be completely honest with you, I thought he was full of junk. I no longer think that. Anybody and everybody. The day is coming, folks. And either we realign or we're going to be canonized. Doesn't mean hate. Doesn't mean dislike. It means we choose God's plan over everybody else's plan. That's the goal. And Judges chapter 3 shows us, or 2, shows us what happens when we put everybody else's gods before our God. It's not a pretty picture. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you, Lord, for your graciousness to us. Thank you for when we miss the mark, you love us anyway. Thank you for that picture in the, the nation of Israel. It, it's, it's a powerful picture. Thank you for the ways that you continue to love them even when they turn their backs on you. Lord, I pray that as Faith Church stands in this gap this day, that we would stand with the truth of the word of God, not to, not to knock people over the heads, but that we would stand with truth and grace. Grace that, yes, Jesus loves you. Truth, he loves you too much to allow you to stay the same. Help us, Lord. Help our nation, Lord. Help us to be a part of the solution to bringing people's eyes back to the God of the Bible. The real God, not the one that they like to talk about. No, the one who is just but loving, patient but firm, graceful but truthful. Help us to come back to that God. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 